is dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, we return to Wine for Bet Street, where the letter of the day is L, and it stands for La Green. The Italian grape variety meant that it was morning drinking for me. We had the honor of having Carolina Valch of Elena Valch Winery in Alto Adige, Italy. During the interview, we learned the history of the village, the grape variety, and some exciting fun facts. This is definitely one you're not going to want to miss. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know you can do it right now? Yeah, while you're listening. New ratings and reviews are how the algorithms decide which podcasts they recommend to others. And if you love the podcast, other wine lovers will too. Don't forget to add your email address to the website to keep up on all things exploring the wine glass. Slancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Day service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So we are back to Wine for Bed Street. We are up to the letter L, and we are talking Lagrain and I am stoked because we are talking Lagrade from Italy. Well, actually, I'd be happier if I was in Italy while we were Me talking too. about this. <laughs> but we have a special guest, Carolina Volk from Elena Volk Winery. And there it is. And we are talking Lagrade today. So it is going to be a fantastic conversation. So first, welcome, Carolina. How are we doing? Hello, everyone. I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for taking time for being with us. And we can't wait to get into the history of the winery and this great variety. But before we get to that, those of you who do not know me, I am your co-host, Lori. I am um, WSET Level 2. I am a Spanish wine scholar. I am a champagne specialist and Cote de Ron specialist. And I am part owner with my husband of Dracina Wines in Paso Robles. So winemaker on top of that. And uh, I don't know what else. But I'm going to pass you off, off to my co-host, Debbie. So go ahead. Who's going to forget half Debbie the stuff Giaquindo. she does, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am Debbie Giaquindo. And first, I want to uh, thank Caroline for showing us how to change the backgrounds here. Yes. On computer. <laughs> It could have been there for the whole time, or maybe it's new, but I'm sitting amongst uh, Hudson Valley Cap Franc. And uh, I'm Debbie Giaquindo, the Hudson Valley Wine Goddess. I'm a certified specialist of wine, a wine location specialist in port and champagne, and a wine sherry location specialist. Um, I'm the author of a book called Tapping the Hudson Valley, and we did itineraries visiting the Hudson Valley area. I am chairperson for the Hudson Valley Wine Competition, and I am a partner in a restaurant in North Wildwood 
called Trio North Wildwood with my husband and chef, uh, Gus Zimmerman. And uh, we're getting ready for our busy season, three months of um, three months of being busy. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Caroline? Hello, everyone. Yeah, I, I, I feel almost embarrassed because I don't have so many specialist titles. It's <laughs> a winery. What are you right? doing? <laughs> So I'm a, a, a wine producer. My name is Carolina Valk, and I'm the fifth generation of our family estate, Elena Valk. We're in Alto Adige, so in the very north of Italy, and I'm uh, very excited to be talking to you and today and introducing you to our estate, to our vineyards, to our winemaking philosophy, and obviously to the variety like Ryan. Well, thank you Great. so much. Excellent, excellent. And we do have Michael has found his way to the episode so that is good that is good and uh we are going to hit up elmo right now so let's there we go Caroline, tell us a little bit about the, the whole history of um, Elena Valk Winery. Yeah, before. Yeah, it's fifth generation. Yeah, tell us been, all about it. Yeah, we've been making wine for a long time, and you can see it in my background. This is one of our major vineyards, the Vigna Castellats, a very unique vineyard, and maybe I'll be talking about it later. But you'll see this old uh, church also in the background, so it's a medieval mm -hmm. town. We're in Tramin, which is actually also the birthplace of another grape variety, uh, Gewürztraminer. And um, so the region is really known for winemaking. So for um, we have been making wine since uh, the Roman times and even earlier, probably. And um, do you all know where Alto Adige is? Probably I should first we start, right? Shall I? I mean, yep. Alto Adige, for those who don't know, it's in the very, very north of Italy, right? So we're bordering to Austria and Switzerland, right after, at the foothills of the Dolomites. And um, some of you might know the Dolomites, which are these huge mountains. You can see them actually in my background here, these snow-capped yeah. mountains. Kind of um, the Dolomites, really world famous for skiing, for hiking, for um, mm -hmm. big tourist destinations, for sure. Whoever loves nature, that, that's definitely a place to go. And um, so we are right there. We're in the middle of the Alps. But Altadige is very unique as we're surrounded by the Alps. But at the same time, we're open to the south for the Mediterranean climate to come in. Hence, it's warm during the day because during the day it heats up like in a basin. Again, because we're surrounded by the, the, the Dolomites. But at night, we have those cold uh, diurnal shifts, so the, the cold winds that come down from the mountains. And hence, we have huge temperature fluctuations between day and night, which is a great place, hence, for, for growing vines. And... Um, History-wise, and I'm not going to give you a whole history lesson here, but something that you definitely should know about Alto Adige is that, I mean, it's a small region, right? We're contributing less to 1% to the total Italian wine production, so tiny region. And the region, um, just by looking at the church, probably you don't think you're in Italy, right? It's it, architecture-wise, it looks very Austrian. And the reason is that Alto Adige used to be part of Austria up until World War One, and then the borders changed right oh. uh, so history wise it's very unique and that's why probably when looking at me i don't look very italian probably and i don't have an <laughs> italian accent 
maybe. Um, and the reason is that um, because of that, um, my first language is actually German and not Italian, right? So I always keep saying, yeah, we 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 wear different hats at different occasions. So um, sometimes we, we kind of play the German card and sometimes more the Italian card, right? So the region used to be part of Austria up until World War One. Then the borders changed, and obviously since then we have been part of Italy, and it's 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 a beautiful part of um, Italy, but it is quite unique and distinct to the other regions that you'll find in in Italy. And hence, history-wise, we have a very rich history. And culture-wise, it's very interesting because you have those, it's, it's really like a melting pot between these Austrian and the Italian um, cultures. And um, I always say, I feel like we've picked the best things from both cultures. Sometimes we're a little bit more Italian when it comes to pleasure and lifestyle and the way we enjoy life and, and, and eat and drink. But then we are very Germanic when it comes to working and being on time. And so it's, it's, it's this neat and small little pocket in, in Italy that um, not all of you probably have heard of. Exactly. That's a good trivia. True, you know, trivia question because I, you know, we never knew that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, today we talk Lagrain and Lagrain is the name is a German name, right? It's, it's a, I mean, it's it's a German name. It's not the way it's spelled. So that's quite unique. That's something you should definitely know when you talk about Alto Adige and when you talk about Alto Adige wine. But um, yes, yeah, so it's it's a very historic um, winemaking region. And because of our unique climate, um, we really can produce fantastic wines, both red and white. Um, back in the days, it was mainly red wines. Nowadays, it has shifted. So there are about almost 40% red wines, but the majority nowadays is whites, actually. Oh, wow. And it's cool. And how about the majority yeah. of what you produce, is it? Do you produce? For us, it's half-half, pretty much. Half-half half red and half-white, yes. Okay. And, um, yes, that's a little bit about the region. And then um, our estate is also one of the most historic estates in the region. Uh, the winery was actually founded in 1869, so five generations ago right in this town of Tramin, where, where the, the picture that you can see in, in my background. And the winery has been there ever since. It has been in, in the Valk family, so in my family ever since. Um, but then it all changed with my mother, Elena, who married into this family. Now, she was actually um, an architect. And uh, she was uh, born and raised in the big city of Milan, about three hours south of where we are. And married and took her to this small little village of Tramin. And, and I mean, she soon realized that there was nothing else but vineyards surrounding her. And um, she has always had this love and passion for wine. And I mean, we're talking about the 80s when not only Alto Alige, but really all of Italy and probably most of the regions in the world were mainly focusing on, 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 on quantity rather than on quality, right? So she never really understood why the family already at the time, you know, we're owning some of the most unique vineyards, like the Vigna Castellas that you see in my background, a very steep, difficult vineyard to work and would make one variety, you know, it, 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 they would just be making uh, a bridal Lagrine, a bridal Gewürztraminer, a bridal Pinot Grigio, whatsoever, without naming the vineyard, the site where it's coming from, right? And obviously, you I mean, the quality you get, from vineyards like the one that you see in my picture, so different than from the Valley Floor, for example, right? So she was the one in the early 80s that said, hey, we're such a small region, we need to compete on quality. We're way too small to compete on, on, on quantity, right? So she was the one also to my dad telling, hey, we need to change, we need to vinify all these parcels separate, we need to focus on the highest quality possible. So she introduced new techniques in the vineyards and also in the, in the winemaking. And I mean, whoever knows, my mom knows that she has a very strong hand. And at some point she told my dad, hey, if I have all these, these ideas, I want my name on the bottle. So 1988 it was. 
that um, she had her first wine labeled as Elena Valk. And um, yeah, and then um, even though in the beginning she always thought this would be a, this would remain a small side project to the actual winery of my dad, um, her project really soon took off and, and, and she started buying more and more vineyards and, and started producing more and more uh, varieties and wines and always with the aim of showing the world the potential of the different sites that we have in Alto Adige. So that's a little bit our background. That's awesome. And more power to her, man. That is yeah, awesome. Right? <laughs> so how, just complete off, well, not off topic, sidebar question. How steep is that vineyard? Is that like yeah. considered heroic? This is very, yes. So this is 63% yeah. in steepness. So oh. super steep. Obviously everything we do there, I mean, it's a ter I don't know if you can see it on picture, it's terraced, right? Yes. It has to okay. be, otherwise yes. it will just slide off. <laughs> it will all and, down at the church. <laughs> totally, yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's really like a pyramid sitting above this town of Tramin. And the unique thing of this vineyard is that it's um, the only hill in the region completely south facing, right? Because generally the vineyards follow the valley and the valley runs north-south. And you have the vineyards facing southeast or southwest. Whereas this is a vineyard, it's really like a pyramid, like a mountain itself, turn around so it gets the sun all day long. It's then influenced by two very strong winds. One is a very dry wind that comes from Lake Garda, which obviously is great for, uh, it's annoying if you work the vineyard because the, the wind is extremely strong, but it's great for the grapes because it's a very dry wind. And then we have those cold falling winds from the high mountains close by. So we have huge temperature fluctuations there. And um, 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 yeah, so it's a very, we call it a very extreme vineyard for, for, its, for the exposure, for the steepness and for the wind sweater we have, for sure. And we actually produce, on this side, we produce a Gewürztraminer, a dry Gewürztraminer and, um, and a Merlot. Oh, okay. It, what, is your, what is your number, your number one white variety? It's, it's, it's actually, it's Gewürztraminer and Pinot Grigio. So those are oh, okay. pretty much okay. equal. Yes. So we're okay. in the town of Tramin, which we consider and believe is the birthplace of the variety of Gewürztraminer and Gewürztraminer referring to the spicy grape of the town mm -hmm. of Tramin. And hence, um, yeah, it, it has been historically one of our most planted grape varieties. It's, it's in the region we always produce, we mainly produce, I should say, uh, dry Gewürztraminer. So you get really the aromatics on the nose, but then it finishes completely dry. So it's a fantastic wine also for food, food pairing wise, it, it's exceptional. And obviously Pinot Grigio is, is a key variety for us. Um, I mean, we feel like in, in, in our area in the Alps, we really have great climate to be, to be producing high-end Pinot Grigio. I know nowadays Pinot Grigio is planted, unfortunately everywhere, almost everywhere. Um, but we feel like in Alto Adige, we have the right climate to be growing really a high-end grape variety. And it is a noble grape variety, as the Alsatians um, remind us. And um, depending on how, where you plant it, obviously, and how you treat it. And, and, and we love Pinot Grigio, and, and, and it really shows very well in our region. Great minerality, deepness, and structure. Yeah. So actually, I, know, I just put that together, Gewurz, Dreminer, and then Tramin. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'm a little it's, slow it's the on the grape uptake. That, that we, as a, as an every child loves Gewürztraminer in our town, and that's the first grape variety that the child gets to know because it's it has this kind of pinkish hue, right? The pinkish skin, mm -hmm. and it, it tastes amazing when you taste yeah. it. So every child loves Gewürztraminer as a grape. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, you know, I have to share a little, a little. Uh, 
fun fact or whatever, which uh, I don't know if it really matters. But when my husband and I went to Italy, I don't know, I don't know how many years ago it was now, six, six years ago, we landed and we went right into Rome and we dropped our stuff off at the hotel and then we just walked and we walked up this hill and there was a wine bar there. We're like, well, I guess this is a good place to start our vacation. And we went in and we had your Pinot Grigio. Oh, fantastic. As our, <laughs> as our first wine into, into our first time to Italy vacation. Oh, beautiful. And I hope you enjoyed it. it. Was, nice. we, did, we did. It was a perfect way to start off our our vacation. It was it was an anniversary trip for us and it was uh, it was a perfect way to start it off. So uh, that was how I was and we honestly at that point had never heard of the winery, you know, and uh, we we just picked it cuz we picked it. I don't you know. And we loved it and then now I see you, you know, now I see you everywhere, you know. Now you know uh, us and now you see us, right? <laughs> yeah, and we drink you. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And it Beautiful. does. It, it reminds us every time we pop one, it reminds us of, of that trip. Now, so, did you go up, up you. to Alto Adige? No, you didn't make it up. up we north. did not. You did. No. Okay. Next time. We did not. Yes. We, my, my husband was very regimented. We, we okay. did Rome for a couple of days, Venice, and then Florence. Oh, and well, like, some we gotta go back. We gotta yeah, go back. you picked some beautiful cities. Now you have to come back for a more relaxed vacation because in the months. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So one of the things, um, and it kind of Pinot Grigio esque, as you were saying, can be grown and can be grown anywhere. Should it be grown everywhere? Exactly. Is a different story. That makes difference. Right? Yes. Right. But um, at at uh, Elena we we see and read a lot about terroir. And that some people are true believers in it, other people's people aren't. But you guys are very much believers in it. So tell us what that mean, what that term yeah. means to you, is, and why. Yeah, my mom really started that uh, in in the early '80s, right? When she said, "Hey, you know, we have this, for example, Vigna Castellats, this unique side." This obviously makes a different wine that the Gewürztraminer comes from the valley floor. And another side that we have is the Castellrindberg vineyard, which is nowadays considered the largest single vineyard in Alto Adige, with just 20 hectares just in one piece, which for the region is really unique. And she said, hey, if we have these unique sites, we need to make something different. We need to make sure that people understand this wine is different because it comes from this place, right? So um, that was her belief back in the days, and she started producing then all these single vineyard wines, right? Starting from Castellats and from Castellringberg, which are our two major uh, vineyards. And later on, when my sister and myself um, joined, actually, I didn't finish the story. <laughs> um, so my sister and myself, we, we actually grew up on the winery. Then we, we both traveled around the world, had our own experiences, studied abroad, um, but both decided at some point to come back. And um, so we both actually came back in 2013 and um, it was actually quite interesting because I, um, we both grew up on the winery, but I knew from day one that I wanted to do exactly what my mom or my parents were doing at the time. So I studied and, and, and kind of, I really knew it right away that my, my bedroom was just above the barrel hole. So I wanted to come back. My sister, 
she did not at the time and she was um she said i would do anything but what my parents did you know kind of this, <laughs> this teenager <laughs> thing and then she started everything else but wine at the time and then um actually we later only found out that she was actually actually um secretly studying taking wine courses and uh, <laughs> at some point decided to come to join the family herself so we both both uh, found ourselves back in Tremaine this small town in 2013 and she then uh, studied also in 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 Burgundy and in Bordeaux wine and hang on I lost you. Are you still there? Okay. Sorry. Yes, my still my screen went black. Sorry. <laughs> and um, so she came kind of had more the uh, old world um, schooling in wine. I actually uh, studied in Australia at the time and kind of had more kind of the new world approach. So hence we found ourselves in this very historic winery and with the old and the new world kind of coming together. And it was so much fun because we both, you know, studied in different parts of the world and then came in with new ideas and then together uh, found out what we thought would be the best for our winery and what my mom then you know introduced many years ago which was this thinking of terroir this parcel vinification of our different sites is something that we then continued and probably in a more strict way even uh, that we also started using we were actually one of the first in the region of Altadige to be using this relatively new denomination or classification I should say of vigna meaning vineyard and if you put that on your label um, it's like an MGA, you have to guarantee that the wine comes only and exclusively from one single site. And so what okay. my mom introduced many, many years ago and, and was making wines only of these sites, right? And when the wine was gone, the wine was gone and we, we didn't have anything to sell for so many months. Um, she always thought that it, it's important to have a wine that, that, that speaks, speaks for its location, right? And hence, uh, we introduced that, um, in 2015 then when the when the new denomination became available for the region of Alto Adige this new classification I should say and um, and so this is something she introduced back in the days and we continue continued and will continue also in the future to really um, produce wines that really reflect the parcel the region and and uh, where it's coming from and Lynn has put in the chat that loves your Castel Ringberg Lagrange? Yes, exactly. So we actually produce two different Lagrines. We have the Lagrine Selezione, which is Lagrine. See, we go back to the German pronunciation, right? The Italians would say Lagrine because that's what you how it's spelled, but it's it's actually Lagrine and, and it's a Germanic name. It goes back to yeah. And um, so there are two different types. We have the Lagrine Selezione, which is a selection of several smaller vineyards kind of coming together. And then we have the Lagrine Vigna Castelringberg, and that's our single vineyard uh, Lagrine, which is a reserva style, which is then uh, matured in, in, in French oak for about 18 months, uh, bottle aged prior to being released, right? Whereas the Lagrine Selezione is, to me, a great expression of the variety itself. So it's kind of more fresher and more approachable style than, than the Lagrine Reserva is. So, and that's what I have? You have, you have the Lagrine uh, Selezione, which is um, a selection of several smaller vineyards coming together. Okay. And these these smaller vineyards, uh, are they located in different yeah, areas? They're very close by. So I should say, so okay. we're in Tramin, the town that you see here. And Lagrine um, comes from vineyards in, in the town of Tramin, also Caldaro, which is a, a beautiful area for growing uh, Lagrine in the lower parts. So those two, two parts, so that's not even 10 minutes away from each other. Mm -hmm. And um, Lagrine is this very unique variety that um, 
it's an indigenous grape variety to the region of Alto Adige, right? It, it, it's really only being found there. And, um, and it's, um, yeah, it has very, um, it's a very dark color and you'll see that in, in, yes. in the wine, right? It has a very, very dark color, grippy tannins. Interestingly, it also has a good acidity. And um, it's interesting because we don't exactly know where the variety comes from. I mean, there has been, um, it has been, we found like documentation, but it, it goes back to the, something like the 14th century where they were talking about this variety, like Ryan. So we don't exactly know where the variety actually comes from. We, we know it's the closest related to Tiroldego, which is in the nearby Trentino area. And then it goes back to Marzimino. And then it goes back at some point. It must have been kind of um, across also with Syrah, even with Pinot Noir and some even say Merlot. So we don't really know how it kind of came together. But somehow Syrah is in there, somehow Pinot Noir. And I think kind of you feel that in the wine, especially when it's young, right? You get kind of these spicy notes also. And yes. um, right. And um, yeah, and it, so it has been planted in Alto Adige for, as I said, since the 14th century. And so long tradition. And actually back in the days, and I'm going back to the topic of the color, it was mainly um, a grape that was used for blending, right? Because of the color, because of the color and the tannin structure, this wine was blended with another indigenous grape variety that is called Schiava, right? And Schiava is the complete opposite to Lagrine. Schiava is light. Um, very, um, how do you say, um, lighting color, uh, very fresh, very um, easy drinking, very, um, yeah, very, very, Grenache like, exactly, exactly, very similar in that side. So, obviously, at the time, they were using just a little bit of Lagrine to added a drop of Lagrine to the Schiava, and all of a sudden, your Schiava was becoming kind of a reserve, not a reserve style, but kind of becoming more rich, more important, and, and you could set it off for more, right? So this was the trick, like using a little <laughs> bit of Lagrine to make your kind of Schiava more, more important. Um, and only then, really, we found out that Lagrine actually needed a, a special microclimate to really be expressing itself well. And um, so we actually started also on our um, estate, we started looking at, at, at the, the plantations we already had and said, where does it actually thrive well? And we realized that Lagrine needs a, to, to vinify it separately until the end and bottle it as a Lagrine, right? And hence we found out that Lagrine needs a lot of sun to really ripen fully, right? You needed to do a lot of green harvesting to make sure that this little bunch that remains on the vine really gets all the sunlight needed to ripen fully. And hence, uh, we started planting it uh, in the only in the, in the hottest and the warmest spots. Not surprisingly, for example, um, Caldara is a beautiful area. It grows very well on porphyric soils in and around the town of Bolzano, which is a very uh, warm area. And um, we do a lot of green harvesting to make sure the little bunch, exactly as I said, really ripens fully. Right? And you don't have those green, harsh notes or, or tannins that can be very astringent if not planted in the right way. And hence, um, only later on, then we um, really vinified it separately up until the very end. And, and um, yeah, and it's now a fantastic grape variety. It's, it's one of our most planted grape varieties for in, in regards to the red varieties. So on your website, it says um, you're a true believer in sustainability. Yeah. And it's not just a buzzword. No. And I know that's very important to you. Um, yeah. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah. I mean, I always say, you know, it's it's a family winery. We have been here for five generations. And obviously for me, every, I mean, if I'm lucky today to be owning these vineyards that are, um, it, yeah, that have a value that is probably not, not yeah. And uh, it's obviously that 
whatever I do today in my vineyards is, is, is really for the next generation. I want to keep everything alive as much as possible. And hence, working sustainably for us is the basic of what we do. And we feel like sustainability is not something that you can ever achieve and say, okay, I'm sustainable now, tick it off and next page. But it's mm -hmm. a constant evolution in process. And hence, we've, we've applied already many, many things uh, and will add new projects really every year. Actually, just today, looking out of my window, we're just finishing um, our new, uh, our second, I should say, um, solar panels roof. So nowadays mm -hmm. we can actually cover 60% of the um, of, of our electricity is all done with solar panels, right? So for yeah. uh, photovoltaic, yes. And, um, and obviously sustainability is something we apply in the vineyards, in the production, and also in the sales side to it, right? Uh, in the vineyards, obviously, it's, 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 there are so many things that we can do and we do already. For example, planting all these sorts of cereals, right, to increase mineralization um, for nitrogen levels. We, what we want is really create a biodiversity in both flora and fauna. And hence, with this uh, all leguminos, how do you say leguminosis? Leguminosis, cereals, Legu kind of, legu legumes, sorry, right? Legumes, mm -hmm. yeah, legumes. Um, these then are not being um, uh, cut off at the end of the vintage, but kind of rolled, rolled down so that we can, we, we keep the soil moisture and have a natural habitat, right? We, for example, have water monitoring systems in all of our vineyards to make sure that really we only intervene when it's really necessary because these weather monitoring systems tell us in every single moment, not only the humidity or the temperature or the winds, but also the humidity underground, the two levels, also how wet your leaf is, because obviously if you treat, if you go in and, and, and do any treatment and your leaf is completely wet, it, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, it doesn't really help much. And hence, with the aim always to inter intervene as little as possible. And this is really also the, the, the belief that we don't have in the, that we continue and follow us in the cellar that, that you know, if you, if you have very healthy grapes, uh, then you don't have to do much else in the cellar, right? And for example, we've introduced a new fermentation cellar in 2015 only that is completely gravity fat, fed and, and hence, um, awesome. yeah. So, and, and what we've realized is actually by, you know, using this very old method, basically, I mean, it, it looks super technological and new, this new fermentation cellar, but in the end, we really go back to old and normal principles, right? Uh, gravity fed winery that the wine is so much cleaner. Like we don't have to do any pump overs. I mean, after fermentation, the wines go in barrique and they stay there without, we don't touch them for almost 18 months, right? Whereas wow. prior to that, you know, you had to work the barrels much more often, right? Um, and hence, um, it's, it's kind of these little things that we do to, to and we know that, you know, if, if it all obviously starts in the vineyards and, and the quality you make there, but then you continue also in the cellar to intervene as little as possible with those little things that, that, that help, right? And um, we do our own compost for the vineyards, for example, right? So we know exactly, I mean, after um, composting needs also a lot of space, as you know, right? So you need a lot of space to be able to make your own compost. And that takes about a year and only then you kind of bring it out in the vineyards, right? So it's all these little steps that we though think in the end make a difference in what you have in your glass, because we know exactly what, what goes in there, right? So by making it ourselves, the compost. And um, we cut, for example, with the, the, the with the simonid and search, um, how do you say the, um, if you cut your grapes, uh, your, Harvey? yeah, no, the pruning, sorry, yes, the oh, oh, pruning, okay. right? According to Simonid and Serge, who also says again, don't cut your old wood and, and again, work as gently as possible to keep your whole trunk basically alive, right? 
And um, so a lot of things that we do, it starts in the vineyards, continues in the cellar where we have, for example, a, a water management system that water is being reused for cleaning. Uh, and also, as I just said, 60% now is done with solar panels. Uh, we use actually lighter glass. We use now 10% um, lighter glass for all of our, um, for example, Selezione wines, which are wines that travel around the world. And obviously, the lighter you, you, you can produce, the better it is. And that makes a huge difference. I mean, all, they say something like 70% of the CO2 footprint is really in winemaking goes back to packaging, right? So if you can reduce your bottle weight by 10%, I mean, that, that does make a difference. Mm. So it's all these little mm -hmm. things that we believe make a difference than in, in the final wine that you get. So for us, sustainability is really a core identity and is really at, at, at our hearts. And, and as I said, if I'm lucky today to be owning these unique vineyards, it's, it's I have to, and I kind of, I, I have to work it sustainably too you know, to be giving it to the next generation and also considering how expensive land is. I mean, there's almost no vineyard available for sale or, or so uh, for expansion. Hence, the vineyard prices are extremely high. Wow. So um, it takes about, it's like a million euro for one hectare, which is prices Ooh. like 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 in Champagne, right? Yeah. We don't produce Champagne. We don't get those prices like in Champagne, right? <laughs> So obviously it's only this second and the third generation that in the end finally make a profit out of this super expensive vineyard. But then we still buy if we can, because it's it's something that our duty for the next generation, right? So if my ancestors have done it, I kind of, that's the, my part for the next for the future generations to come. And hence, obviously, I mean, it's, it's kind of the circle that, that, that mm -hmm. I, I treat my vineyards well, because it's, it's really only the next who really benefit from it. And now a word from our sponsor. Josina Wines loves to give back. There are so many fur babies that deserve to find their forever home. We would love to be able to help as many as possible. If you are part of a nonprofit organization or know of a nonprofit organization that would like to hold a fundraiser, please contact us at contact at dracinawines.com or visit our website, dracinawines.com, to fill out the form. How does the fundraiser work? It is super simple and costs your group absolutely nothing. Together, we will choose a month that your group will be sponsored. During the month, you promote the fundraiser just like any other event you'd hold. At the end of the month, we will donate 20% of the sales to your organization. The donations will be made in the name of each individual who purchased the wine so that you know exactly who helped the animals. Our goal is to raise as much funds as we possibly can and to help as many animals as possible. So please help us help as many fur babies as we possibly can. Perfect. Right. They're like your kids. You got to nurture them. It is. They've got to grow exactly. so that you can hand them off to your kids. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and as a vintner, as a producer, you, it takes time. You have to be very patient, yes. right? Yes. Because uh, you, you buy a new vineyard today, you start planting it, and by the time it really delivers to the grapes that, you know, of a certain quality, you have to wait 10, 15, or even longer, right, years. Right. And also getting to know that that particular site and exactly. the plants and what it needs. Exactly. And... To understand what, what style can I actually make, mm -hmm. right? You, have, you probably, exactly. probably have in mind a certain wine, but can it? Can those grapes get there? I mean, is it really right. what, what I picture it, right? And if not, what's plan B? What can I do with them? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're located in. Oh, I'm sorry. We just have two questions uh, yes, that, that have been there for a while. So the first one is from Todd, and he would like to know how would someone from the U.S. travel to Chamin? 
Do you yeah. go through Venice, Verona, Austria? What's, um, what's the, the best closest, way? So the, the closest international airports would be um, Milan to the south. Mm-hmm. Milan, Venice, both to the southeast and southwest, or Munich, right? And oh, then okay. it's always... Munich in Germany. So it's always about either three hours, you travel three hours south if you land in Munich, or you go three hours north when you go from either Venice or Milan. And then um, you definitely don't need a car. So I suggest, you know, fly into one of these major hubs and then don't take a car because um, our capital city in Altonija is called Bolzano and it's a gorgeous, beautiful city to visit. But once you've visited the city and it's a small city, you only need a few hours there. Uh, you need your car to really travel around to see the vineyards, to see wineries. But then also if you, you definitely should go up in the mountains because it's, it's, it's they're beautiful. And so you need a car there and to, to travel around and, 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 and visit all the different small towns that we have here because there are very, very, very many small, small towns. Okay. And then the other question is from uh, JVB. Hey, haven't seen you in a while. Sorry. <laughs> um, oh, actually, he was yeah, answering. Yeah. He was talking about, he was saying that he flew into Milan and then took the train to Balzano. Okay. Yes. And then? Then Murano. Murano train. Yes. Murano. That works. Yep. If you stay and then he based his trip in Alto Adige at Innsbruck, Austria, and Marco Polo Airport. Oh. Yeah. yeah, true. So, yeah. No, that's, that's that's also, that's all, but then probably I sometimes use the Innsbruck airport, which is great. It's a small airport, but then you have to do a connection, right? You fly either to Frankfurt or to Vienna and then your overseas flight. So if you want to go direct, you'd, you'd have to go into Munich or Milano or Venice, kind of the, if you, but otherwise you can use some of the smaller airports like Verona or Innsbruck that are about an hour and a half, either South or North, but then, yeah, you have to, you have to do a, yeah, change flights. And Jim says it is definitely worth the trip to go. Oh, beautiful. I love hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> so sorry, Deb, go ahead. No, that, it kind of ties in to what, what my next question was. Um, other, you know, beside the wine, what what else is there to do? We've covered how to get there yeah. and hiking. Um, so it's it's definitely a place for nature lovers, right? If you look for a big city with a lot of, you know, museums, then it's maybe not the place to visit. But if you're an outdoor person and you want to enjoy great weather, so actually our marketing agency says of Altorije, we have over 300 days of sunshine, which is not bad, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's it's beautiful Very weather. Nice. Yeah, and it's um in, actually in summertime, it's interesting also for winemaking. Actually, it's we're one of the hottest summertime places in all of Italy. But the nights are the different, right? Difference make the difference, right? It gets hot during the day, but it's cold at night. So a lot of people, I get that a lot, that they say, "Hey, we, you know, we thought we would be so far north, so that it would be so cold, but in the end, it's so warm in summertime, and it's true." But yeah, what else is there to visit? Definitely visit wineries. It's beautiful. It's it's a beautiful vineyard area for sure, uh, and most of them are in and around the town of Bolzano, Lake Caldara, Tremi, kind of this where we are basically located. And then um, very important and very famous for in winter, if you come in winter for skiing um, and then for hiking in summer or if you want to bike, uh, beautiful bike uh, roads and in the mountains, the, the Dolomites like Valgadena, which is beautiful for hiking or for skiing in the winter. And you have these very high mountains and they're just very unique, very, very unique. 
and um, we have some small lakes um, and uh, but it's definitely a place for people who love to be outside and, and culinary wise it's very, very unique because again going back to what I said in the very beginning about uh, the, the two cultures right the German and Italian influence uh, that you'll see that also in the in the in the, in the cuisine and hence you'll have amazing food because you have you can go you can choose between those very traditional restaurants if you go especially higher up on the mountains they will cook you very austrian like food right uh, very traditional but then at the same time you have this very um, Italian cuisine and influence and very many high-end restaurants they tend to blend these two things together and it kind of really exceptional food so I believe we have per capita uh, we have the most Michelin star restaurants in all of Italy yeah so that's not bad right <laughs> we wow. also even had a three Michelin star restaurant but unfortunately he just closed but because oh. the, the huge hotel got purchased by another huge hotel anyway, Aww. so they decided to redo it. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But yes, so it's a very, very high end place for people who kind of want to enjoy good wine and good food. It's definitely a place to go. Awesome. All right. So let's let's focus in a little bit on the Lagrine. Uh, so how how did you start producing this grape? Did, was it on the vineyard and yeah. that you had purchased, uh, you no, know, and was... how much of production is it for you? Yeah. So Lagrine has been, we have been, you know, ha being a very historic, we're one of the oldest um, family, wine growing families in the area. So um, we have been making Lagrine really ever since, literally ever since. But it has always been, as I said, the minority, the, the major grape was Schiava for in German. And, um, and only later, as I said, my mom then said, hey, we, had, we need to vinify it separately. We need to, you know, make a varietal Lagrine. And, and then only then we started realizing what Lagrine really needs to become a varietal wine, right? And um, as I said in the beginning, my mom changed a lot of things in the vineyards and also in the winemaking. And she was really a pioneer in the, the, the high quality revolution that our region went through. And... Um, and it's also with Lagrine, right? And uh, doing a lot of green harvesting. So it really only have the, 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 the small bunch on the vine. It's actually, my mom tells me this story that um, one day she was talking to this very old lady and, and this was in the beginning, right? When she started doing so. And, and, and this lady said, woman, you're, you're not doing good things here. And my mom said, why? And she said, you know, as I was, and this was a lady, she was maybe 90 years old. And she said, when I was a child, <laughs> I had to be, I was a child, I, during harvest, we kids had to be the last in a row during harvest, and we had to whistle and sing to prove that we were not eating one single berry, and now you're cutting <laughs> down on the ground, <laughs> right? So um, she changed a lot of things, and a lot of the people at the time did not like this, but certainly with Lagrine, it was necessary to make her, to, to start making it as a bridal Lagrine, right? Because otherwise you'd have these very astringent and tannic notes that no matter how much oak or no matter what you do in the cellar, you just don't never get rid of it, kind of these green notes. So um, definitely this green harvesting um, helps a lot. So the grind needs a lot of sun to really um, to really ripen fully. So and, you do and, a lot of leaf pulling so that the yes, leaf pulling is important. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Sun exposure is very important. Um, also, um, for example, we planted uh, one of our major vineyards of Lagrine is kind of going towards the lake where we have the lake that releases some heat also at nighttime and hence we have less temperature fluctuations than, for example, on the Castellas Hill that you see behind me. So definitely the warmest spots in Alpaggio go for Lagrine. It is very, it has, it has, um, 
a spice note to it that mm-hmm. I keep smelling because I'm trying to figure out exactly what what yeah. spice what spice it is. Kind of the white but, pepper, maybe the white pepper thing. Yeah. 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 It. Yeah. Um. But it. It's. I literally keep sticking my nose in it because it. It is a beautiful smell. Um. And on on the. Does it palette, smell like the mountains? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you have to say that, right? <laughs> so we did a good job, right? Yes. Um, but there, there's also, um, there's a, there's a little bit of floral essence in there too. Kind of like, um, Violets not, or... not, not, not like a strong rosemary, like not yeah. something that's that potent. Um, but there's something behind that white pepper that yeah. is, that is just, Time? Yeah, kind of like a softer. Yeah, yeah. along I'm that doing line. Good with no wine, huh? I know uh, you are. Right? Deb, Deb understands my lack of. Yeah. My lack of um, but it, it's. I really do just keep sticking my nose into it because it's a beautiful aromatic wine. It really, it really is. And then on the palate, the, you you can tell that there's the tannin is there, but it is not an. Oh, it's not. It has a good acidity, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Absolutely. the The acidity is there, and the it plays well with the tannin and the the oak regimen that I guess you're using kind of softens that and lightens that body just the right amount so that it is it's so enjoyable <laughs> thank you thank you it actually i have to say this, this wine matures in those in regards to the oak treatment that you just mentioned it matures in those large wooden oak vats and whoever mm-hmm. comes and visits the winery it's beautiful to see because we have an, an amazing historic cellar with old casks that date back to 1873 the oldest and these barrels are wow. still being used and they're all hand carved so they're huge right they're massive it's, and and they really tell the story of my family of the my ancestors of of the region of uh, the importance of, of winemaking in Alto Adige historically. And, um, and obviously the, those um, are great also for microoxygenation happening, right? And um, for the maturation of, of, of the wine for sure. Yeah. So, and the, I'm sorry. And then there, there, the red, there's red fruit. It, that's kind yeah, of dark, like dark like, red fruit, yeah, right? Like, yeah. Um, is where it got, it's lovely. And I really just keep sniffing it. Um, but I have to say, yeah, it has a beautiful smoke. I always feel, find like it has a great smoke on it. So it's beautiful to pair with anything that has smoke on it. Um, actually, we in Altoadige, I don't know about uh, your part of the world, but here in Altoadige, the perfect pairing with Lagrine is actually venison in regards to oh, okay. very dark red meat, venison, because it ha- has this slight sweetness to it almost, this, the, the meat. Um, and hence, it, it perfect pairing for us. For the classic, typical pairing of Lagrine in Altoadige would be with venison. Yes. Okay. But really, it goes so well with so many things, like um, even on a great barbecue, just because it has this smoke. I love it with mm-hmm. or with some great pizza. It's 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 it's, it's um, I have no problem with pizza. Right? (laughs) Very versatile. Yeah. So, Legrand compared to other Italian red red grape varieties, we were just talking now about, you know, the characteristics of it. What is so unique about it? Compared to all the other red varietals that... Yeah, I I would say that the unique thing for me is definitely that, um, you know, you have to if you smell it, you have to, as you just said, um, Laurie, you had the um, dark fruit, red fruit spectrum, but on, on the palate, it's so surprisingly fresh, 
right? Mm -hmm. On the nose, you'd be maybe expecting a kind of more bigger wine, but then on the palate, you'd be surprised how, yes, it has a structure, but it's still lively, it's still fresh, it's still um, easy to approach in a way, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and hence, I think that's kind of the typicalness of, the uniqueness of, of, of La Grine, that you definitely feel there is a certain freshness that in in uh, the area in, in Piemonte or in um, or obviously in, in Tuscany and, and further down uh, you don't get right and Jim is Jim has um, said that um, Lagrine Lagrine how do you what's Lagrine Lagrine um, and Sheva are fabulous grapes to taste in northern with northern Italian food. There are more delicate, elegant wines. The fedors are massive and impart a gentle oak influence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would I would uh agree to that because um we have certain regions here in the United States that have a very poor love affair <laughs> with <laughs> oak. Um uh -huh. in which you put that up, you know, when you put that on the palate, it's you're tasting oak. You're not, you know, you're you're not tasting what that fruit the is itself. really yeah. right. Yeah. And this this you can taste that variety. You can taste what the wine is trying to express, and it's an enhancement versus you know that oak is an enhancement to yeah. it that just exactly. adds a little dimension, you know, a little different dimension to it. And by what you're saying, maybe taming down those strict tannins mm -hmm. that it can get to without dominating it. It's allowing you to taste that, to taste the grape, which mm -hmm. is what I prefer. Exactly. I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. I prefer the, to have the expression of the grape in the glass and not right. a bunch of oak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Absolutely. Now you did kind of explain what the the climate is like for that, but in general, like Lagrine, like if you're if you were choosing the ideal spot, yeah. what is that climate that Lagrine likes? What is that uh, soil it's, and yeah, know. it's warm. It's it's the answer is it's a warm warm for altitude, right? Let's not not Sicilian warm and not Californian warm, but it's it, for what for whatever Altarija is warm, definitely go there, right? It definitely needs sun and warmth. Lagrine does not well on high elevation, so the highest we go is probably 350 meters, 400 say the most. So you stay low in the valley. Um, porphyric soils do very well with Lagrine. Um, generally, also loamy soils and do very well. Um, if you have a lake close by, that helps to again uh, kind of have a more moderate climate. Um, what else? Um, when you, you said, said warm, how how warm does it usually get there? Like yeah, in the summertime, it, it gets fairly warm. So I'm not very good in Fahrenheit, but it's about we can get in summertime. Talking about July and August, up to 32, 33 degrees. Yes, Celsius. So right. that's okay. 100 or something. Yeah. Sounds hot. <laughs> yeah. 70. It, it's, it's, I'm terrible in that. I'm 90. 90. 90. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But do you so get any humidity? No, exactly. That's, so you that's don't like get a much good disease point. pressure. See, I, I never talk about humidity because it's not a big, um, I mean, 
we're very lucky that it's fairly dry also because of the winds that we have, right? right? So it's a fairly windy place. So no, disease pressure is, I mean, obviously sometimes it's there if, if it rains, like 2014 has been a difficult vintage for everyone, but generally it's a dry, right? Dry vintage. And that actually brings me to another topic that there's so much talk about, you know, vintage variation. Um, in Altoanige, really, to be honest, even if, like, whenever, we, whenever we take, I have to do some vertical tastings of whatever wines, Talking about the vintage for us is so hard because we don't have these huge variations between one vintage and the other. So we're generally speaking fairly lucky to be have a very constant and good um, weather. Then obviously like 2014, you know, it has been a kind of a, a more difficult, more rainy vintage. Um, 2015 has been exceptionally hot, 2003 has been exceptional, but in general speaking, it's not that one vintage is so different from the other, right? Um, I mean, a little bit, yes, but not huge, right? And and in general speaking, we're very fortunate to be living in this small area where we're protected, right, by the mountains. I mean, all the bad weather that comes from the north doesn't get so too altitude because we have the mountains, right? Sense. So it rains in Austria, uh -huh. But as soon as it crosses the border, the natural border, which are the mountains, um, it's 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 sun. It's sun. So we're where we are vulnerable. The bad weather always comes from the south, right? We get the snow from the south, and we get um, rain. Heavy rain only comes from the south, right? That's where we are open. Big storms from the north never make it through. Hardly ever make it through, right? So how does the um, altitude um, impact the flavor? So if if it was to grow, Lagrine was supposed to grow on the valley floor. How how would that you know flavor be different? Yeah, uh, the thing is that it wouldn't really ripen enough, and that you're left with a, a wine with a Lagrine that is green, right? You have green mm -hmm. notes okay. in it, right? Well, it will ripe at some point, but you'll have always these 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 very astringent tannins, right? And uh, would certainly not thrive well. So um, the unique thing of Altadige is really that we have, we're such a small region and actually as a region about nine or 98% of the region is, is classified as DOC system with the DOC, which is the highest denomination that we have in Altadige. You know that initially there is also the DOCG, but not in Altadige. So the highest we have is DOC and 98% of our vineyards are all classified as DOC. So we have very high quality in, in, in what we have. Okay. And uh, land is very scarce, and, and but very versatile. So we have a lot of different microclimates that we find. And hence we plant a lot of different varieties. Like as a region, we're up to almost, I think, 30 varieties that are being grown in the region. Right. And why, I mean, these are all parcels. I'm, within an hour from where we are, we have seen so many different microclimates. And the unique thing is also that we can go in altitude, right? Um, and vineyards are being planted in Altoadige from say, uh, 250 meters up to almost a thousand meters. So that's like 3000 feet, right? The highest we have. And so we, very versatile microclimate, versatile microclimates that you find. And hence we can plant many, many different varieties, but like Ryan, you would choose a lower elevation vineyard for sure. You go high up with Pinot Bianco, for example, Pinot Grigio is another variety that wants more kind of the lower elevation, but Pinot Bianco, Pinot Noir, um, do very well on high elevation vineyards. And how how do you see climate change affecting you, yeah. and specifically the the impact that it may have on the grind? Um, obviously, I mean, 
the climate has been changing and, and we see that. And, and if you talk to my generation, ask in general, when does vintage start? I would say end of late, very late of August. Ask my, my parents and they would answer uh, middle of, of, of September, right? So we have, we're talking about two different, two weeks of difference, right? So definitely we see that. Mm. But then there are always exceptions, right? We have colder vintages and vintage being shifted further down. But in general speaking, yes, we do see that it gets warmer. And yes, we do see that wines tend to have a little bit more alcohol. But we are still lucky enough to be so far north that, yes, it gets warmer. We have a little bit more alcohol, but it's not threatening like in other parts of the world where you are already so, it is already so, so warm that half a degree more or less does make a difference, right? We, I think we're not, at this point, we're not, it's not as drastic. And uh, we can go on high elevation. So as I said, our, personally, our highest vineyard that we have is, is on 3,000 feet. So that is very high. It's a great vineyard. Is it the perfect vineyard for now? Probably not because it's too high, I would say, right? So it's something that we do for the future. Um, and um, yeah, so, so, so definitely as a vintner, you, you obviously, you know, you, you see all these things and, and, and you have a lot of projects to, to kind of understand which direction is it going, right? And, 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 and that's also the beautiful part of, of I guess, of, my, of, of being a wine producer and a vintner. <laughs> what do you look for when you're harvesting uh, LaGreen? What do you look for in the grape? What's the bricks um, and, and everything yeah. else? Yeah, bricks are very, it's Balma, it's like we're in, in hang on, Balma, it's like 30.5, is that correct? We're like, we use, um, how do you say, um, uh, a different Italian measurement. Right. Neuburg, so that would be around 20 babo, something like that. Okay. Um, but what we, you, obviously, the most important thing in Legrine, harvesting Legrine is the phenolic ripeness. And okay. you get that by tasting. And you look mm-hmm. up at, at your bricks at the Balma or, or Babo, what we say. Um, but the key thing is really tasting, tasting, tasting. And you taste the, the and you see that the pipe mm-hmm. kind of gets ripe, right? You kind of bite on it and you chew on it to understand that, that really the talent structure that you might get in your final mm-hmm. wine. And I think that's so much more important than just the, 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 the bricks or the bomb or whatever we use mm-hmm. as right. a measurement okay. because the phenolic ripeness is the tricky part of the ripe. Okay. So it's 1.8 degrees bricks is one bound. So oh, yeah, okay. Okay. people can do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not um, very good in maths, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what calculators are for, right? <laughs> and then you did talk about how like a harvest, you know, was with the climate change, it is moving up a little bit depending on, you know, whatever. But in terms of Lagrine itself, is it, does it tend to, um, bud break early? Does it ripen early? Where is it in the scheme of your yeah. vintage? Uh, in the scheme of my, our vintage, in general, not in, in terms of climate change. No, in general, you say. Not yeah, in, in general, yeah. in general, Lagrine um, is um, is being harvested um, fairly after, obviously after the whites, but in regards of our red wines, it's one of the almost first that come in, I would say. So, in okay. average vintages, we are, and it's 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 interesting because even if you if you go into the vineyards and you see kind of it has this kind of, um, it's such a it's such a contradictionary this, this variety because you taste the vineyard and you see actually it has a very soft skin 
and it's a country you would oh. think it has very thick skins but actually right. has a very soft skin right okay. considering the tannin structure that you have so it's, it's really a contradiction to what you generally learn in your in your books right um but um yeah so we harvest generally speaking i would say around the it depends i mean mid-september i would say so once they're basically almost when the whites are finished then you start almost together scavenge like ryan kind of yeah Pinot Noir, obviously, Pinot Noir is, is, would be first, generally speaking, but because Pinot Noir nowadays tends to be on higher elevation vineyards, um, sometimes like Ayn comes before the Pinot Noir comes okay. in because Pinot Noir okay. tends to be grown now on, on, on higher elevation. But if Lagrange and Pinot Noir were planted on the same um, elevation, then uh, Pinot Noir would come first, yes. Okay. Now you talked about um, how the winds help the, the vines, the Lagrange and that, and the, but once you get it into the winery, is there anything that is a concern in the winery? Like, does it try, is, you know, is it prone to oxidation? Is it prone, you know, what, is there something no. you need to be concerned with? We, we need to be concerned in general. No, it's um, actually Lagrine is, we love making Lagrine. It's not too, it's not like a Schiava that is very tricky and very reductive and very, Lagrine is a variety that it's, it's the classic red wine regimen, how you say, production that you would do. Okay. Yeah, so it's 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 I would it's not too difficult to handle uh, Lagrange compared to say Pinot Noir or Schiava that we plant, yes, okay. or or Cabernet where you have to wait for so long and, and kind of cross your fingers that uh, the weather holds because it ripens so late. So Lagrange is 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 a, how do you say a, a, um, a trustful in their in their variety. Yes. <laughs> Um, we do have a question from Evelyn. She said uh, she sees that you exhibited at Vin Italy and Pro Wine this year. She wants to know if the attendance, <clears throat> excuse me, if the attendance levels were um, up to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, um, definitely for Vin Italy, yes. Um, okay. Vin Italy was a really beautiful uh, trade show, fantastic. We loved it. We saw people from all over the world. Um, Pro Wine was also very good. Um, Probably not as busy as pre-COVID, I would say. Okay. Um, but in Italy, for sure, yes. I mean, okay. yes, for sure. It was great. That's yes, we loved it. Um, what is the best way to enjoy this wine? Is it better to drink it young? Is it a good aging wine? Mm -hmm. And does it depend on how it's produced, whether it will age better than, yes. than others? Yes, to the last thing that you said, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so always, whenever you buy a Lagrine, look on your label and look what it says. Because in general speaking, not just about our estate, but in general, in, in Altoadija, if you see a wine labeled Lagrine, like the one that you're, um, Laura, that you're having, like if it's labeled just Lagrine, Altoadija DOC, that's the denomination, then uh, you're most likely, uh, it's, it's a wine that is generally made for a Kiang, right? And it's, it's kind of more fresh and it's, it's, it's a wine that is approachable and is here to be drunk now, right? So you look for kind of more recent vintages and don't go too far back unless you really want to see how the, the variety um, evolves. But in general, it, those are wines that are being made to be drunk young. But if you see like Rhine Reserva on your label, right, Reserva, then it means that the wine has been aged for at least two years somewhere and somehow, right? You have to age it for two years at least. And hence, obviously, um, those wines are wines that are made 
two to eight, right? And um, so these wines, yes, look for back vintages because Lagrime has the tannin structure and has the acidity. So it's definitely a wine that, that holds well and, and does age very well. Yeah. How long do you think it would age for? for Lagrime? Yeah. If you look for a reserva study, it can age very well. We've, at our estate, we have some of the oldest vintages of kind of early 90s and they, they are beautiful. I mean, it yeah, has okay. the tannins. It has the acidity, so two very important components really to ripen. And um, so they do, they, they can uh, age very well, yes. Awesome. Great. Good to know. Yeah. And we've already covered climate and soil. So, Deb? So what's the future of Elena Walsh Winery? What's the future? Well, we, um, I feel like what my mom introduced uh, many years ago, being this pioneer in the high quality revolution that our region went through and uh, with, with her belief of, of really making wines that are a true reflection of a single side of our area and of, of our family in the end, is something that my sister and myself, we definitely want to continue, continue perhaps even in a more strict way with uh, new labor requirements that kind of prove that even stronger that we are producing wines from a single site, for example, uh, working very sustainable, so sustainably and basically giving the soil, the, the, the soil back, you know, what we take out, we need and want to give back. So really the, the, the future is to continue producing very high-end wines and produce wines that are really the true reflection of, of who we are and what we do and, and, and definitely where we are and, um, and continue the legacy that, that my ancestors have done for, for many years already. And Lynn just said that she just had your 2012 and it was lovely. Oh, beautiful. Fantastic. Thank so, you so much. <laughs> yeah. And then, so piggybacking on Deb's question, that that's the future of Elena Valt. What, what do you see as the future of Lagrine? I think Lagrine is um, a variety that... Um, it's, it's a native grape variety, it's an indigenous grape variety of Alto Adige, but especially in days like this where people love kind of these native, indigenous, different grape varieties, different than the classic international varieties like Merlot, like Cabernet Sauvignon. So for us, um, it's actually easier to sell a Lagrine in the US than to sell a Cabernet Sauvignon in the US, right? And hence, I think like there is especially in times like these, there is more and more interest in native grape varieties overall. So I think Altaja will continue producing this neat little grape variety that we have and, and, and really show the world this small variety. Obviously, it will remain a niche product, but that's fine because we're such a small region, uh, you know, that, that um, we wouldn't have enough anyway. But it, it, I think it will have, uh, uh, it will remain a niche variety, but will always, it should always hopefully have a place in, 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 in wine lists around the world. What three facts would you like people oh. to remember? Because we're starting to wind down here. We're almost done. Um, <laughs> what would you like for them to remember about the grind? About the grind, three things. Okay. It's um, very versatile. Remember to drink Alto Adige, so northern most fine-growing region in Italy. And um, it's just, uh, let me think, last thing, drink it. And if you drink it, kind of be thinking of this region that is surrounded by the mountains in the middle of the Dolomites. We have 
very small vineyards available only and it really it's it's warm during the day it's cold at night so it's this tension that you hopefully see also in the wine wonderful so mike i'm googling here because michael obviously knows more about paso than i do um <laughs> which is where i live um but anyway uh he uh he was asking a question which i i'm trying to see um how they describe it. We do have Lagrine here in Paso. So yeah. have you ever have you ever visited Paso? Um I, I actually have been in the area and um I have tasted actually um hang on now you, you got me I should have looked it up. I tasted some Lagrine that was planted in California. I once had it in from upstate is it up, uh, upstate New York from the Channing Daughters. Channing Daughters that's Long Island. That's Long, Long Island. Island. They yeah. plant, plant, planted or planted it. Oh, wow. And also See, in California. Now that's interesting because yeah, that's cold. It, it, that's exactly. So I was, yes, no comment on this. And, um, <laughs> but then hang on. It is also in, in California. I should have looked it up. There are a couple of producers in, um, in California that do it. The ones that do some Italian. I should look it up. So I, I don't... Here, in, here in Paso, which is the central coast, yeah. right smack dab in central California, there is a winery called Pelletier Winery, and okay. she specializes in Italian grape varieties. And so hers is $75. Now there you go. And the description says the incredibly rich and complex layers of black raspberry, anise, and dark plum on the palate melt, uh, met with silky lingering tannins on the finish. Oh, there you go. Okay, I know also in Australia yeah. there is a little bit planted, like in the Adelaide Hills. I know they they do plant some um, some Lagrine. Uh, Lynn Lynn said Jeff uh, Runquist Wines in Amador County has oh, um, Jacuzzi, yeah. and Karen says Jacuzzi in Sonoma bottles and sells it. Oh, too. Jacuzzi is all Jacuzzi, Italian. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. I think I yeah. I, I, I heard about that one. Yes. Nice. And their recommendation for food pairing is grilled pork chops, flank steak, and prosciutto. There we go. Well, so, they just never had venison. Right. Yes, yeah. I will let I will let her know. Yeah, right. Um, you know her, I will let her know that she needs to add venison to her. Right. To her but is it something that you eat or not so much? Is it well, in the US venison? Where I am venison? a lot not of so much, do, right? A lot, where I am Yeah. A lot of people do eat venison because they physically go out and hunt it. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Um, and around Thanksgiving, mid mid no to end of November. Mid November yeah. is bow season, and then around yeah. th our Thanksgiving is uh, gun season for for yeah. um, for deer. So when people, you know, so um, kind of, but it's not a, a, something an, uh, a, a classic dish on the restaurants. Right. right. It's not something you not see so on the rest on a okay. menu like you see a hamburger. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it's usually a fall dish, actually, as well. Right. Like you'll it's see it more on the menu. You'll see it more on the menu in the fall. In the fall. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There we go. See. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. And then, so just where can people find you? Where can people find, you know, the you travel all over the place because we've actually met once in New York City um at uh the italian the it was, yes yes maybe years yeah, yeah, years and years and years and years were you there this year yes. were you there no. this year 
Yeah, I personally wasn't, but we were there. Okay. Yes, I'll okay. have to look yeah. for you next time. I'll you should. You. Yeah, no, it's yeah. a great event. Yeah, Actually, one yeah. of my our yes, um, employees was there. Yes, yes, yes. It was a great show. And um, where can you find us? Obviously, visit visit us in Tromin. As I said, it's a beautiful small little village. You're surrounded by the mountains. It's really gorgeous. Um, but if we have a beautiful cellar door, so tasting room, and uh, we, you know, we have a small. Um, sort of restaurant with local produce only cold cuts and it's um in the middle of the vineyard so it's gorgeous here if you wanted to visit we offer also vineyard tours and winery tours but if that's too far um we do participate at some um wine shows around the u.s for example the gambler Rosso or the james suckling events um and then um we you know our wines are distributed throughout the states and um so look for us in, in fine fine retail or in, in kind of restaurants. And where can they find you online? Online. Yeah. I think it's wine.com. They should no, no. Also. Where can well, they find uh, out El you? It's, it's Elena Voss. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, it's, we're, <laughs> we're on we're, um, elenavalk.com. Or we're also on Facebook and obviously also on um, Instagram uh, with Elena Valk. Good. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It, thank you so much. Is there anything that Debbie or I did not cover about Elena Vak or Lagrange? I think that you covered you quite a bit. So um, on top of my head, I can't think of anything. Um, I I hope I gave you a nice overview of what we do, of, my, of what my family does, and um, yes. of what the region does. So I hope I was... Uh, I was able to give you kind of all these insights. So nothing on my end. <laughs> it was it was wonderful. I actually learned so much. It was thank just you so much. Fabulous. Thank it you really so much, was. And beautiful. and just so you know, Carolyn, uh, we've had eight people on from the get go. So oh. um, and as we told you earlier, it's it's more of an after effect yeah. of you know. But the people have, if, you, if you're if you looking at the chat, the people have been active in the chat sharing links a, about your winery and just sharing who else does Lagrine and how to get Beautiful. to you. So Fantastic. Um, a, well, thank the you. Chat, the chat was doing so. We want to thank you for coming on and sharing your knowledge and sharing your wine. Um, and thank so I just, I just wrote in the chat, I'm going to go to Pelletier and, uh, and uh, Hope Family Wines with your bottle and go let them there. taste your wine um, so I can do a side-by-side -side of your wine with theirs. So Beautiful. I do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm curious yeah. to hear your thoughts then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I can't wait to hear a bit <laughs> <Right>? too. <laughs> yeah. And it's, okay. I was just out on Long Island too, uh, wine tasting. Oh, there you go. So, but I, I'm, I, I'm not I going back. Somebody recently. told me they they don't do it anymore. I, I oh, saw yeah. it several years ago. But have a look. Yeah, I definitely yeah. tasted it once several years ago. So. Well, thank you right. so much for yeah. coming on, sharing your time, sharing your wine, sharing the history. It was exceptional. The wine, I I adore it. So I did save a little bit so I can do my little slancha at the end, even though <laughs> <laughs> nobody else is drinking. I'm I'm the earliest I in the day and water. I'm drinking. <laughs> I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to getting the bottle. So once yes, my daughter comes to yeah. yeah. So uh, I love when I have a reason to drink at 10 a.m. <laughs> So thank, right. you so thank you so much. much. And have a great day. Have a great week. And yeah. um, again, thank you. Thank you so thank much. You.
Thank you all. Cheers. Bye. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye. Bye. Ta-ta. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Butt. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. Give me the red, red wine. Give me the white, white wine. Give me the sweet, red wine. Give me the wine. Give me the wine. No, no, no.